So, okay, so today's daf is uh, Yutet. We start with the new parak. We start on the very bottom of Yutcherem and Bet. Um, and um, we now shift finally for uh, into issues not relating um, to rain, but still following a very sort of similar pattern in terms of other reasons why someone would fast. Let's take a look. Seder Taniyot Elu, this order of fasting, Ha'omer B'Riviyavri Shona, are things said about the first rain, and if the first rain is delayed. If uh, sprouts have changed, there's some actually blight or other type of a thing that they are, um, that, that the way they're growing is, um, is different than they should be growing, um, then that's like an immediate problem. Maybe there's an infestation. That's not something that you can delay and go through a whole series of three, three, seven, first Yechidim, then Sibur. That's something that there's something immediate that needs to be dealt with. What? I said changed. Like, it sounds like it changed from like a week to a barley. No, no, no. Anyway, mat, we're not dealing with miraculous things. Mat, we, although we are praying to God, but still, you, those types of things you matri'in, you blast for, you know, call out for immediately. If you'll remember, there's a debate whether that means shofar blast, or does it mean anenu, or does it mean both of them. But you do, presumably, the whole special series of tefillot, uh, you know, accompanied with that was, um, assumed to be packaged with that, was together the uh, 24 brachot of Shimon Esrei, maybe the taking of the Aron out into the uh, courtyard. So all of the special prayers, you, you respond immediately. Now, what about fasting? So, let's take a look. Uh, we'll see about the issue about fasting in a minute. This says, Matri'in Alehen Miyad. If there's a 40 days, even if it did rain in the right time, or roughly in the right time, but then there's a 40-day period where there was no rain, that also could be terrible because then the plants start growing and then there's no rain and maybe, you know, then it's even perhaps even more urgent. So in that case, you also begin to do the special tefillot, um, because that is a, um, a, a plague, a smiting of Bitsoret of uh, famine, although Bitsoret is a little bit uh, less severe, as we'll see in the Gemara, than Ra'av. I don't know, how do they translate Bitsoret there? Famine? Drought. Drought. Okay, so um, um, Rav and Bitsoret, both of the Rav, I guess, normally translated as famine, both have to do with affliction of food shortage. Okay. Um, anyway, both of those have to do with the lack of rain and therefore the lack of, of crops, um, but Bitsoret is less severe than Rav. Okay, now, by the way, if you think about it, the three, three, and the seven, how much time was that? Three was about a week and a half. Another three is about another week and a half. That's three weeks. Seven is four and a half, four and a half weeks. Start the second series. Five, whatever. So we'll round up. Anyway, seven is like four and a half weeks, right? So that's like about eight weeks. You round up a little bit because whatever, nine weeks. So that's about what is that? About sixty days. So anyway, so the so but the starting of so that's till the end of that series. But the starting of the seven, right, will come. Remember, there were three periods. There was the three weeks of Yechidim. Then, right, then the three weeks of the Tzibor with the, in, in the, starting in the daytime, three weeks of the Tzibor starting at the nighttime, and then the seven where you did the Matri'in and the special Tzibor. So three, three, and three is uh, nine, which is about four and a half weeks, called five weeks, 35 days. My point being that there you got to the Matri'in and the most severe after around 35 days. Here, Ben Geshem, Geshem, Arba'im Yom, it's the same period of time without rain. Right? It's not like here because it started raining, it's a shorter period of time has passed, 
and even and it makes it worse. But nevertheless, um, even though it's already rained, once there's that long of a gap, that makes it very severe and very urgent. Yes. Uh, if they do the three, three, and seven, they will be fasting on Hanukkah. Okay, that's a good point. I haven't thought about that. What I also have to say is not clear to me is when it says Avru Elu Velo Nanu or Avru Elu Velo Shamim. Right, and I, this isn't discussed anywhere in the Gemara, as far as I know. Is that ever? Does that mean immediately? Like we did our, you know, Monday, Thursday, Monday, and we said, okay, no rain. Next Monday, Thursday, Monday, you know, we're doing it again, you know, or um, you know, that's what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like, you know. To say, well, let's give it a little time, see if our tefillah works. <laughs> it sounds like it's immediate. Anyway, it's interesting. I hadn't figured out that it will always run into Hanukkah. That's really true. Okay. Anyway, have to check the calendar on that. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's a good question then. Okay, now, let's say rain came down, enough rain for sprouts, meaning for crops, but not enough for the trees, or not appropriate for the trees. Or for the trees, but it wasn't appropriate for the crops. That was appropriate for both, but not enough for the wells and the cisterns. In those cases, you would do the shofar blasts immediately. Now, um, that's a little bit interesting because we understand why the point being that it's not enough that it works for one, there's a, there's a concern for the other, but what's the miyad? Like, you know, even if rain, everything is raining normally, it just didn't, wasn't enough for the trees, it wasn't right for the trees, that would be a miyad? Um, or is this maybe in the context of ben geshem le geshem or ba'im yom? You know, so maybe if it's in the context of 40 days, it makes sense. But anyway, this sounds pretty interesting. Not only is it enough to do a matri'in, when it's um, um, you know when it's good for, when it's not good for one even though it's good for the other but there sounds to be a miyad element here which is hard to understand I mean, that sounds there is a miyad element here which is hard to understand um, or if there's a city that didn't have rain even though another city did right we had that we did that Russia before it could rain good for one city not for another for a portion of a city so you might think. You know, that if it's good, if the surrounding cities have the rain they need, it's not such a big deal. You just buy stuff from the surrounding cities. The Mishnah goes on and says, Nevertheless, top of Yutetam Aleph, That city fasts and does the blasts. The Kosovivoteha and all around it, meet Anot Matriot. Do the fasts without the blast. Oh, I didn't mean such a rain, but okay. Anyway, do the fasts without the special tifilot. Okay, Rabbi Akiva Omer, matriot velo mit anot. No, they only do the uh, special tifilot, the surrounding cities, but they don't do the fasting. So there's a question of the implication of the surrounding cities, but we should just take a pause here to note that in the Tanakhama, the, 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 and this makes complete sense to be assumed that that was the position at the beginning of the Mishnah, right? The first response is fasting. A only later, more intensified responses. Not only are we fasting, we're also doing this very uh, radical sort of new tefillah service, right? Matriot was at the end of the process, at the seven. So presumably, the whole point in the beginning of the Mishnah of Matriot Miyad, you know, Matriin Alehem Miyad, had two chidushim. I mean, or well, it was num- or maybe it was the whole, or maybe you call it one point, but it was A, the response is immediate, okay, and B, the response is not just, it, it, it's the most extreme response, meaning the tefillah. But obviously, if you're doing the, the new tefillot, that includes everything that comes before the tefillot, comes the fast. So presumably, and now we've been talking about here, you start at the end. You start with the full package, with the fast and with the tefillot. Now, we're getting to an interesting position of Rebbe Akiva, 
who imagines that you can have the, the and, and excuse me, and therefore, in some circumstances, you're only going to do the half package. You're only going to do the Taniyot without the Tifilot, the surrounding cities. But you do get a very interesting position of Rabbi Akiva, who seems, who says that you can have the, the, the Tifilot without the Taniyot. Now, again, presumably he is not saying that in the beginning of the Mishnah. Presumably in the beginning of the Mishnah, everybody agrees that the point is the full package. If you have a tragedy that's, that's, that's impending, then obviously you do the full package. Why would you do half of it? So that's the beginning of the Mishnah. But here at the end, you do have an interesting position of Rabbi Akiva that says you just do the Tifilot and not the Taniyot for the surrounding cities. Not so clear what this is about. Why would the surrounding cities do it at all? So if you look at, it could just be an issue of a type of Imoa Nochi Bitsara of then, but then why would it be like limited to the surrounding cities? So if you look at the uh, Rashi here, uh, the Suda Rashi, he says, Matri Ot, Rashi says, like, will do the top line. That is something that impacts the, I mean, you could have said that city should be very happy because then they'll get to have a, a, you know, raise raise the prices or something. But, okay, we won't be so callous. So there is here, it impacts the region. If a certain area is, has a real famine, you know, even if everybody else is doing good, it means that there's going to be scarcity for everyone or it's going to have some larger impact on the region. Um, and therefore, the other surrounding cities participate in it. So with that in mind, what would be the idea of the matriot, the lomit anot, is interesting um, for Rebbe Akiva. Because again, as we've been saying, matriot is usually the higher level. But one could imagine, and if there's a possibility that, hey, maybe if we had to choose between the two, our tfilot are more impactful than our ta'anit, then why didn't we have the reverse order earlier, right? What is the idea of having here the tfilah without the ta'anit? So what I would suggest in Rebbe Akiva is that the ta'anit is a reflection of the suffering or an intensification of the suffering that you are already enduring uh, or that you are and you are and that you know and you are saying God you have not given us rain you know we are so suffering as a result and the Tanit just really brings to the fourth the four the, the intensity of the suffering you know look you know look how physically suffering we are we're expressing it right now to the fact we're, we're not even eating you know food the whole day and we're fasting and we're miserable and so on so it's an intensification and a greater expression of the actual suffering you're already undergoing whereas the surrounding cities aren't undergoing any suffering Ta'anit would be an inappropriate expression for them they could have tefillah right which is a way of praying for something that they're concerned about right they're concerned about the future they're concerned about how this might come to impact them but since it's so far you know not about them it's about someone else right so maybe the ta'anit is not the proper expression um, so that's uh, just uh, speculation here but Rabbi Akiva's position is interesting because until now the, the tefillah always was this extreme tefillah was always stage two right and that's consistent certainly the implication of the beginning of the mission of the position of the chachamim so why would a surrounding city do tefillah without, without ta'anit so I do think it does have something to do with the fact according to Rabbi Akiva that it is not personal about that um, okay let's take a look now as it continues the chen ear the chen ear sheyish ba dever o mapolet if a city has pestilence 
or mapolet, or some type of an issue with um, falling or walls, uh, falling structures. Um, that city does the whole package. And the surrounding cities do the Tani, but not to the point of these greater, um, uh, these greater Tifilot. And Rabbi Akiva again says the interesting reverse position. Omer Matriot, no, they do the more extreme Tifilot, the low Mitanot, but they do not do Ta'anit. Now, again, not exactly clear, but, um, but one can speculate what the relevance is. Like, just because the walls of one city are falling down and they've got, you know, how does that, you know, they haven't been good at their upkeep, what does that affect us? But, you know, I mean, if there's a medical emergency there and a lot of people are dying and injured or whatever, you know, that could have an impact on the surrounding regions as well, the need for doctors and, you know, and the other types of sort of ways in which, in, in which those demands will make, will make demands on the, on the surrounding cities. But, again, not 100% clear which are the ones that impact the surrounding cities, which are the ones that identify and which are the ones that are not, yes. Wouldn't collapsing buildings be most likely from an earthquake? Um, well, that's interesting. Although like, when would you start? One pothole, two potholes, right. three potholes? It's an interesting question. And earthquakes are often followed by successive earthquakes. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe. And Eric Israel has been plagued by earthquakes for millennia. Huh. Huh, interesting. Although one does wonder, because the Mishnah and Brachot have a way of referring to earthquakes, right, when they deal with the Brachot that you make. Of, um, but that's interesting. Okay, that's a nice explanation. All right. Um, now, Lou and I. Ezu Dever. What would be an example of pestilence? How would you measure, like, it's just not like, you know, few people have died. What makes you think that there's actually a plague of pestilence going on here? By the way, what, what is that, Dever? That's like some type of, is it, is it like, when they say, it was, is it, uh, I mean, do we know what the ancients meant, when they, what, how we would medically categorize what Dever is, scientifically? What pestilence was? What was the Black Plague? Uh, it's a bacterial infection uh-huh. uh, transmitted by fleas. Aha. So probably what some what, what these Dever and there was a horrific the first uh, really horrific example of it was actually in the sixth century CE mm-hmm. about the time that the Talmud would have been completed. Uh-huh. Well, this is the mission, though. Uh, All right. Anyway, presumably it is something. Some uh, anyway, whatever it is, plague. What would be a way of measuring it? Um, a city that it's an interesting phrase that produces that comes out from it 500 like uh, foot soldiers what is that not exactly clear what that means what does that mean it has a population of 500 people or 500 men the Yatsumi Menu again Hamotziah and then the Yatsumi Mena Gimel Meitim Begimel Yamim so instead of the foot soldiers people in their sort of strength and virility you know coming out of the city instead you have three dead people came out of the city so anyway it's a city of a, of a certain population I think again the imagery is Ragli as opposed to Meitim but anyway a city of a certain size population and there are three deaths Begimel three successive days. So that would be considered pestilence, that such a high percentage is dying. Pachotnikan, less than this, it is not considered, um, it's not considered to be pestilence. Presumably also if it was three day after day, but the city was larger, it also wouldn't be pestilence because then it would be a lesser percentage of the city. So some way of measuring that there's a lot of deaths. Now again, does that mean there's also signs that they see, that they identify with Dever, certain fake signs on the body, fevers or whatever and the question is together with that signs what makes it rather than just a couple of freak deaths you know but why isn't that they have, we have that whole uh, thing what is that the uh, center for uh, con- CDC. 
CDC, right? How do you start, when do you start translating a couple of unexplained deaths? The majority of my salary. Right, anyway, there you go. A couple of unexplained deaths into describing it as that we've actually got some communicable disease here, we've got some, and we've got some user, you know, user thing going on. And that seems to be the issue. Presumably there are other indications that this wasn't a guy that was 90 years old that died in his bed, that there was some, you know, something um, unusual about these deaths. Yes, Charlie. I think this is the first example of the use of an incense rate in the history of epidemiology. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, okay. So those are the things that you start immediately. So there's two chidushim we've been introduced to, number one. Number one is there's some things you start immediately. You have no patience for it. It's not like the rain that'll come a little bit later. No, this thing is happening right away. We start at the end of the package immediately. Then there are others in which it points that the chidush is that it applies to a... It's immediately affecting the local region, but the surrounding cities or villages really is an ear. The surrounding villages also participate in a lesser degree. And the question is, is the lesser degree degree ta'anit without tefillah or tefillah without ta'anit but that's this category too now it continues so within this context of the surrounding areas um, the following are things that are not just the surrounding areas but if, they're, if they occur in one place Everywhere, well, everywhere, like throughout the whole world, presumably. Everybody has to participate in the matriin, and again, presumably matriin means the whole package. Ta'anit with the tefillah. What are they? Al-hashidafon, the al-hayerakon. So shidafon is some type of a blight of the crops. Yerakon is jaundice. The al ha'arbeh, at least that's what Rashi says here, right, uh, presumably not about the crops, but although it's funny that there would be that shift because of the other things here are going to be very crop related. Does that say, what does that say for Yerikon? Does it say jaundice or does it say a disease of the crops? Yellowing. Yellowing, but of the crops, right, I assume yeah. it says? Yeah, so it's still... Okay, so we're still within the crops. Okay. So, she defined all Yerikon, so either... So, so, um, so, you know, uh, b- um, right, blight or, or, or disease of the crops, uh, different types of locusts, so that's all about crops. And then, caterpillars, interesting. So that's all crop related. And then we shift to, and then we shift to things that apply, that are about, uh, you know, humans and health and uh, safety, as we did before. We were dealing with issues like dever. And uh, like, uh, you know, uh, wild animals, evil animals, it's interesting to, to see if how much any of these things parallel the Ten Makot and Mitzrayim. Um, you have Dever, you have the, uh, the, the, the smiting of the, uh, of the crops, you have the Chayara'ah. Anyway, the Chayara'ah, Val HaCherev, and about, you know, troops, army troops, um, um, that are going th- and, uh, uh, you know, conquering cities and marching through and, uh, wreaking violence. And all those things, everybody engages in the matri'in, again, which presumably means the whole package, ta'anit with the tifilot, because it is a plague it is a, that spreads, that's moving, it doesn't stay in one place, right? If there's uh, locusts, they'll wipe out one place and they'll move to the next. If there's these uh, types of disease of the crops, the disease spreads, the army troops spreads. Now, an interesting question is, number one, if there was anything that I would think would have been mahalechet, I would have said it would have been the dever of the previous uh, category. So maybe they didn't exactly 
know the, the, the you know con, con, how contagious that was. Maybe we don't exactly understand what they meant by gather, because obviously they understood the idea of contagion because they're dealing with things like Yerachon, and they see that those are issues that spread. Anyway, these types of things are things that apply to everybody. Uh, that uh, that that this thing could be coming to you next. So even okay. Troops are going through just the northern part. Yes. Now let's take a look. The Mishnah elaborates. Now again, the question is: Is there some point where you say no? That's never happening here, right? You know, um, but uh, but maybe not. Like oh, maybe it doesn't go from one continent to the next. But let's take a look at what the Mishnah says. Okay, Maaseh, where were we? That the elders came from uh, Jerusalem back to their villages. Um, um, and they made a ta'anit because there was the scene, the fill of a oven, we'll see what that means, of shidafon, of this type of a, um, you know, uh, uh, a disease of the, uh, or a destruction of the grain in Ashkelon. So it's not exactly clear. Did they come from Ashkelon to Yerushalayim? Or it sounds like they were in Yerushalayim, they heard about what happened in Ashkelon, and then when they went back to their villages, they made the Ta'anit in their villages as well because of this, um, uh, of this blasting of the grain in Ashkelon. So that's a pretty... Okay, but they're still all within, you know, the balance, all within the, uh, Israel. It's not uh, so distant. But, uh, okay, so, so how, what are the limits of the Chomakom? So let's keep on going. The Odazu Ta'anit al-Shachluz Evim because these wolves uh, had, you know, had, had eaten two uh, babies or two children in Aver Hayadain. So there were these wild animals that were attacking uh, people in the settled areas. Uh, not only, even if they didn't attack yet, but the fact that they were walking around in the, in the, you know, in the settled areas, in the, in, in the villages and the cities, and they're supposed to be only in the, uh, you know, only in the uh, forest. So that itself is enough of a threat. Now again, that's Avar Yardin. How far Avar Yardin? Avar Yardin is not Chutzlaret. Meaning, even if they're not talking halachically, Eber Hayardin, you know, Eber Hayardin still means in immediate proximity to Israel. It doesn't mean way over in Bavel. Um, so, what exactly is the limits of the Chomakom is not clear. At a certain point, I mean, you could ask it in two ways. Number one is, to what degree do you just feel a connectedness to, you know, do you sort of see yourself as, a, as, as belonging to that country or to those people? You know, is that like completely, uh, even if in practice the thing might spread, but it's not yet shyach to me, it's sort of the way you think. You know, to what degree is this your country, your region? And the other question is the practical question. Meha, is, at a certain point you'll say, oh, it's never possible that it's going to spread that far. Right? Something going on in Australia. Right? I mean, anything right now that we have all this massive communication, we'll be fasting every single day because somewhere in the globe one of these things is happening. So I think it's a two question. It's a way of perception of connectedness and the reality of the concern of it spreading. What are the limits of the Chomakom is not is not spelled out in this Mishnah. It's okay. communication, though. In other words, right. they have a consciousness to get news out. Right. Any of the things we assume today for Right, that news would spread. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do, and I do think this raises, you know, a, a, a very important question because, look, we're also getting into this issue of, you know, about um, that sense of responsibility towards the rest of the community, you know, even a very distantly spread community. So, to some degree, and it gets also to this question about why were the surrounding villages praying? You know, the Rashi says they were praying because it might affect them as well. But maybe they're praying because they just have a responsibility, they, they have a connectedness, and they want to participate in the concern for this one village among them, even if it won't affect them. 
right? So I think that there is a question here about that sense of responsibility, although here we really do seem to be talking about impact. If it's happening there, it's going to happen to me. But still, it's a question of how do you perceive what your sort of, you know, w- w- you know what your um, connectedness is. Like, you know, who are, not just the people you're related to, but sort of, you know, the, the country that you're in, you know, to what degree. I mean, we have that problem as well, that we tend to dismiss things, especially, they say, like, you know, n- New Yorkers or, in general, or Americans, very provincial, right? Anything happening outside is completely not related to us. So, you know, what are the parameters of that to the degree that, again, both practically it might impact you? You know, people say, no, 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 don't dismiss what's happening over there because that's going to impact our economy here, you know? And sometimes people, you know, acknowledge that and sometimes they still dismiss it because it's still not America, so who cares? Um, So, you know, I think there are those two issues. To what degree will it actually have an impact? And to what degree do we perceive a sense of it relating to us? What are the limits of Bechomako? Now, again, that does this also highlight the difference between the earlier case, the earlier case of the what do you call it, of the, uh, of the um, reigning only on one city or the, um, you know, or the, or, or the Dever, Mapolit only on one city means that there's really not such a concern that it's going to spread. Right, you, it, it is only going to be in that one local region. If it was going to spread, then it would be you would be doing the full package in the surrounding cities. But you're right, it's the first case, the first case, you're only doing the half the package. So there, it is assumed that it's going to remain local. And even though it's going to remain local, nevertheless, the surrounding villages, to some degree, participate in a lesser effect. But when there's a real concern that it's going to spread and directly impact, then you do the whole package. The Tani's with the Tfilah. When it's going to remain local, but I'm surrounding and I'm nearby, then I participate in a more partial way. So you're saying that the troops then? Yeah. Uh, which is not going to, I'm in America. Well, that's the question. What's the limit of the whole Makom? I would, I presumably it's not, you know, there's some limits to it. Okay? But still, there's still the difference between it spreading and it might impact me. What are the limits of the Chomakom as opposed to the earlier case where it wasn't spreading, but it's still happening to a, local, to a place that's nearby? What's my degree of participating and of caring about that when it's nearby, but it's not going to directly impact me? You know, I, 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 I find myself in a funny position arguing for the empathy um, side of the argument. Mm-hmm. Because, in certain circumstances, as long as the, the event doesn't spread, Right. And actually, and if you assume that there's a regional economy, mm-hmm. it serves the benefit of the people living around. Right. You mean the, the fact that it raises the prices go up? I, w- go I, up. I sort of said that sarcastically, I mean, not sarcastically, but snidely before. Yes, <laughs> it's true. Right. It's totally true. So right. I think, so I think that thinking about the way people really live, yeah. um, it has to be an empathetic <laughs> response. Mm-hmm. As, as to right. If it's not going to spread and it's not going to impact me at all, then it's, yeah. I think I, I, I appreciate that yeah okay so now it says so that is now three seconds we've got immediately things that are, are, have impacted local won't spread but the way in which the surrounding villages have a partial participation and things that actually might spread and everybody has to go to the extreme the question I'm just raising is how far what's the limits of everybody what's the limits of Komako now fourth category Al-Elu Matri'in B'Shabbat some things are so bad that you even do it on Shabbat. Now, if Matu'in means shofar blasts, which is a question, I mean, don't blow shofar on Rosh Hashanah on Shabbat, but okay. You know, maybe this is like a, a real thing that's happening um, right now. Pikuach Nefesh, but again, if it's a way of praying to God, right, so God doesn't exactly need the shofar blast. So let's take a look, but maybe that's why the Gemara was inclined earlier to say that Matu'in does not mean shofar. Matu'in means tifilot, because you couldn't imagine that you would blow the shofar on Shabbat. But al-Elu but these are the ones that you do, these special tefillot, 
with or without shofar, but you do the special tefillot even on Shabbat. On a city that is surrounded by non-Jews and it's about to be like, you know, it's, uh, it, it's being besieged. Oh, Nahar, or a river that presumably is about to overflow. Or on a boat that's being ta- tossed around in the sea that's caught up in a storm. And all these things, um, you would do it even on Shabbat. Now, Rabbi Yosiomer, Yes, you can do it on Shabbat, and this might make more sense if you're dealing also with a chauffeur blast, but also verbally. But you can do it to call people to aid, right? So you can sound the alarm on Shabbat to call it because these are things that, you know, people can come, help defend the city, help put the sandbags up for the overflowing river, you know? I'm not exactly sure what the Sfina is. Maybe send out other boats to try to, you know, rescue people. So that you can do, because, but not with Saka, not to pray to God. That's, you know, that wouldn't allow this to be, you know, to the, do the Matri'in on Shabbat, which raises the question, so for Rabbi Yossi, you understand what's unique about these cases. These cases, not only is there a sense of, like, urgency, or emergency, I should say, but there could be an immediate human response. So that's the idea of Matri'in Afilu B'Shabbat. But according to the Tanakhama, if the Tanakhama is referring to praying to God, right, so what is the idea of a Afilu B'Shabbat uniquely here? Maybe also just the degree of emergency is greater than all of these other things. Like, okay, there's a famine, there's all these things, there's these wolves, but they're not the same sense of like every minute counts as are the issue here about a river that's about to overflow or a city that's about to be, you know, that's about to be, uh, the walls of a city are about to be breached. This is such a degree of emergency that it's Afilu B'Shabbat. Yes. See, but also, depend, you know, you can also make that same distinction over here as to how many other places do it. If the river's going to overflow, make it go downstream to you and you're your city. All right, so that's another question as well. Fine, we're not combining those, but no, here but we're focused. Draw, like, you know, if I'm already, like, in Everyarding, you know, right. I can't help them. Right, okay. You're right. So the question also has to be asked about the geographic region here, how this intersects with the earlier category. This does not seem to be mehalechet. Okay, so the Gemara says like this. Um, Even on pestilence, you could cry out on Shabbat, and the sages do not agree, which is interesting, because in the context of the emergency, like, you know, and really understanding, like I said, the CDC and what communicable diseases could be, you understand, like, yeah, this, like, you got to nip this in the bud as fast as possible. In the the context of the possibility of human intervention, I don't know what they thought you could do about about Dever. Okay, um, I'll I'll work on developing the next section. On any affliction that should not come to the Tibor, that's like a way of just being like, you know, like, like saying, like, canina, like the opposite of Kanina or poo poo or whatever, like, you know, not to see. Right, with, exactly. It shouldn't happen, but on any affliction, you do these, this full package of Ta'anit with the Tilot. The one thing you would not do is too much rain. Too much rain, like you don't, even though it's working out to your detriment, you don't do this extreme sense of ta'anit and tefillot for something that essentially is a bracha. We have enough hard time getting sufficient rain. We're not going to make an overly big deal, even when it's problematic, over too much rain. You know, we might do some small things, but we're not going to do this huge package over too much rain. We should only have such problems. Okay, so, um, so now we get the famous story. 
Ma'aseh story, Sha'amrulo Lukhoni Hamagel, they told Khoni the circle drawer. There's a lot of interesting things to say about this, but well, I'll save it for when we revisit this in the Gemara. Um, I would just say the following that this is a story that goes back to the period of the Hashmonayim. And, um, uh, uh, Josephus already records um, a story and the Hashmonayim. Not this story, but a story that reflects the fact that one of the brothers, when the two brothers were warring or whatever, you know, um, you know, anyway, you know, asked him to pray that the other side should, you know, should lose, shouldn't succeed. So there's a clear lead. These were led. There was a legend of the Hashmonayim about somebody whose tefillot, you know, were very effective. And uh, people would seek after him in order to impact, you know, uh, uh, the workings of he- or to get heaven to respond to what was going down in the, here down on the, down on the earth. Yeah. So here, this is being written about 300 years. Now, and the point also mentioning this is from the time of the Hashmonaim, it's being recorded in the Mishnah like 300 years from the time that he uh, that he lived. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Relevant to this week's parsha, right? Okay. So they said to Chonia Me'agel. Pray that the rains should come. Now, what's interesting also to think about before we get, continue for this story, which I assume people know, is at what stage did they say this to him? Because besides, because just think about the contrast. What has the mission been telling us we're supposed to be doing when there's no rain? Right? Tanit, Tefillah, right? At what stage did they go to him? Like, did they try to shortcut the whole thing and say, oh, let's not bother with all of that process. Let's just get Choni to pray for us. Or maybe they tried the whole series and it wasn't working and they're going to Choni as a last resort, right? So it's an interesting gap. Like, when are they going to Choni? Or you've got two conflicting traditions of theological response. <laughs> one is you go to an ecstatic, right. to a special individual with right. magical powers will work. Right. Or you believe that the entire community, right. their moral fiber, is, you know, can God will Right. That's a good, and that's an excellent point. Like, who were the people that were going to him? Right. And were, with, I mean, as we'll obviously see, you know, this type of a power in, as you say, like an ecstatic or a charismatic individual is threatening to, you know, uh, to, to the establishment power and institutionalized power. So, we're, so, you know, we're, so who are the people going to them? You know, going to Choni. One presumes that Chazal would not have been happy with going to Choni. And we'll see that at the end of the story. So, right. So it could be both things are going on. Right. You know, some people are doing the Taniyot and the whole things as which the Chazal wanted, and other people are saying, let's just go to Choni and get him to work for it. So it's interesting to ask who's going and when are they going to. Okay, but they went to Choni HaMe'agel. Pray that rain should come. Amarlehem, he said, So Choni was very confident about his own abilities, and he said, go and bring in the ovens that were used for roasting the Pesachim that they should not, they should not like, um, uh, dissolve, because there's going to be so much rain. Now, and number one, it has to rain a lot in order to dissolve pottery, I would imagine. Number two, when is this happening? Right? So if the, so if, if they've already brought their Korban Pesach, then it's like in the middle of Nisan. We learned before that if it rains in Nisan, it's a simon kwala, that the rain isn't doing any good once it's already Nisan. So maybe there, it's, it's right at the, towards the end of Adar. And that's going to be a parallel, a parallel version in the, in the Gemara. It's going to quote, it's going to be that it was the end of Adar. So they're getting out their Tanurei Pesachim, getting ready for Pesach, but it's not, uh, it's not yet Pesach. It's Mamish at the very, very end, at the last minute. So if that's true, then at least it gives a little context. It's like, 
six months or five months, like since the middle of Marcheshvan, we've been praying and fasting and garnished. So now at the very, very end, as a last resort, they're going to Choni. So it's interesting that how that might frame it and when this is happening time-wise. That's just been going. I could think they yeah. would not have rained for almost a year by that point. Why a year? Because there's no rain in the summer there. Okay, it's a good point. Um, okay, so now he's saying, go and take in the ovens that they're going to, they, they shouldn't dissolve. He Now he prayed, and maybe this is just a little sense of a little, serves him right, you know, he's so overly confident. It didn't respond. Okay? Ma'asa, what did he do? Ag uga. He made a circle. The Amad betocha, and he stood in the middle. The Amad, and he said to, and he said in, in, to God, Ribono Shalola, Master of the Universe, Panecha Samu Paneyam Elai, your children have put their face towards me, Shaniki Ben Bait Lefanecha, that I'm like a member of your household. Nishba'ani Bishimcha Hagadol, I take an oath in your great name, Shaini Zazmikan Achet Rachem Albanecha, that I will not move from this circle until you have compassion on your children. So obviously he has that sense of like, you know, of, of being able to demand and his arrogance and his own abilities. I mean, you know, it carries on even at this stage through the Tilot. Although some do try to say that Ben Bayit does not necessarily mean like a, like a, a child, like in your house, like in, in a parent's house, but it means like a servant, like, you know, one of the, you know, one of the, uh, you know, what, 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 one of the attendees, one of the people, like, you know, the, uh, the, the person who brings out, the, you know, who, who, who cooks and cleans or who, bring, or who sweeps up, you know, that's a Ben Bayit. So they have a little bit of a latitude, so like in Shakespeare, you know, it's the fool that always gets the clown that always has a more of an more of a liberty to speak. So some want to say that that's like what a Ben Bias is, somebody who's like a rat, you know, a, a member of the household, not not literally part of the family, but somebody who's in the king's castle all the time. Yeah. Any, right. Anyway, that's interesting to wonder what Ben Bias here, the image of the Ben Bias. Okay. Nishbani b'shim chagadol We did that. Okay. Hitzivu So the rain started to drip. Amar That wasn't what I asked for. Enough rain to fill all of the wells and the cisterns. He started to come down in like anger, like you know, torrential. Amar That wasn't what I asked for. Rain of desire, rachav and blessing and uh, you know and, and giving. They fell down in the right way. They had abandoned their houses in Yerushalayim and they all went up to Harbayis because of the rains. They came and they said to him, The same way you pray they should come down, pray that they should stop. He said, Go see if the stone of uh, like uh, the announcement stone has dissolved. There was a stone in you know in Yerushalayim where basically they would stand up and they would announce people that had lost objects. Um, and uh, where, so everybody when they would gather for the regalim, you know, would be able to like uh, check out. You know, you know, it would be a pl- place of public announcements that people could find objects that they had lost. So if that stone has dissolved, then uh, then I will you know then it's gotten to be too worn much. Down. So one one worn down by the rain. Right. One wonders what the uh, bigger sort of symbolism of that is we can try to unpack this a little bit more later okay but again notice by the way you know there's a certain sense here about him uh, him, him, him getting his uh, you know his arrogance sort of continuing like you know before he said you know but was that the, the uh, what do you call it the, um, the, uh, uh, the ovens wouldn't dissolve and here it's like I'm only going to stop it once you know the stone has worn away from the great rain like he's not willing to you know be immediately um, immediately responsive and he also anyway but okay so so 
so that's the story. So what happened? Shalach um, was Shimon ben Shetach. So Shimon ben Shetach, who was you know one of the uh, leaders at that time, said to him, "Ilmali choni atas. You were not choni if you were not somebody that had such powers. Goes rani alecha nidui. I would put you in excommunication. Aval ma es alecha shatam mitchatei lifnei makom vaoselecha ritzoncha. What should I do for you that you are mitchatei before God and God does your desires? Now mitchatei is not exactly clear what it means, but another place Rashi explains it means basically you misbehave. So you really are like a Ben Bias. You're like a little kid. Oh, I want this. That's not good enough. Oh, I want something else. Is that what he asked for? I want something else. Well, so, like nag. You nag. Uh, I think mis- misbehave. Okay, you misbehave, but you know what? God is like a father. He has compassion on you. To Ben which does make it sound like Ben Bias is more like literally the child. So say hello, it's so now that even when you misbehave, you know, he's willing to go along. That your father will rejoice over you and presumably even if you don't deserve it. Now, it's a very strange ending because God was not exactly being osei ritzono there. You know, it does have... <laughs> right? God was sort of technically responding but obviously not happy and obviously subverting. So, when here when, you know, Shimon ben Shetach is trying to critique him, um, the fact that he sort of still says that God does your desire you know, is a, is a little funny. So there's obviously, and one also does imagine, you know, that the Chazal are trying to a little bit cut under his uh, power, you know, his ability as that, because that is threatening to the, it's not just the problem, presumably, one imagines the problem of Choni was not just that, he was a little arrogant to God, so he's coming to, so this Cherem is coming to defend God's honor, how could you be so disrespectful to God, but that also he was a little bit threatening to rabbinic authority, and part of this story does undermine that, you know, he thinks he has all these powers but in the end he misbehaves and God isn't you know sometimes tolerates or indulges but not doesn't always really respond in the way that Choni thinks he's going to get a response um, yes that certainly yes yeah, absolutely they're, you're right I mean that they're not denying that he has that right you know because, because they, they so that's interesting meaning the fact that there is people that have the power to pray but notice by the way earlier right that's a good question earlier when it spoke about the Yechidim praying or the Zakain, those individuals were always anonymous and they were uh, and they're what put them in that position was their character and their traits not some ecstatic ability so you know now so, th- so I do think that that the idea of Chazal don't you know very much and you understand why like establishment authority doesn't want to acknowledge you know of, like this charismatic power of a particular individual um, so, I, so I think you're right that here they can't completely deny the reality that everybody saw him as this wonder worker so um, but they're undercutting it so you're right they could have just said you know you don't have this about ability but I don't think that they, they could say that there was this perception that he did but I think that the story in many ways undercuts it A. He misacts B. God doesn't really listen he has this arrogance it always it might come to be it might frustrate you know you know work against him so in way, different ways they're undercutting it but I don't think they're in a position to completely deny it but I think what's more deni- what's more interesting is all the stuff we saw before which is that the Yechidim are anonymous they're not people charismatic you know so I think that's a really like uh, like being held up in contrast to this okay Hayumitanim Geshamim so they were fasting and then it started raining so, Kodama, do they continue fasting now that they've already started? So, 
So Kodam and Eitzachama, if they if it was before sunrise, lo yashlimu, don't finish your fast because you didn't really the fast hasn't real you know it's Baruch Hashem it's now raining and there's no need to finish the fast and you're not bound by it yet. But if the fast was already after sunrise, so now you've already defined the day as a fast day, Yashlimu, you have to finish fasting. So that becomes fascinating. Continuing to fast after your prayers are answered because of your obligation of the fasting. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Kodem Chatzot, Lo Yashlimu, Lach Chatzot, Yashlimu, the difference is before and after Chatzot. That they had a tanit and it rained before chatzot. Go out, eat, drink, make yomtov. And they even came back from Mincha and they read Halal. Halal is not what we call Halal. What we call Halal is Halal Hamitri. Halal Gadol is the, what we add to um, the Psuke de Zimra on Shabbat. The extra, the Hodu Hashem. Right. Okay. Anyway, so that is is very interesting but again you know what this also sort of does bring up is it brings up the almost institutionalized nature of a fast as opposed to the immediacy of the relationship of the previous story but the previous story Choni was praying God was answering you know there was this immediacy of the relationship if you think about I'm fasting and I'm praying and then God brings down the rain so what do I do? I say thank you and I stop fasting and I stop and I stop davening. The possibility that you continue to fast even after you've been answered because, well, technically you've already turned it into a fast day so you have to finish your fast, you know, again, sort of brings it to the sort of more formal and institutionalized nature of the practice, you know, beyond that just immediate sort of, you know, you know uh, uh, dynamic with, uh, with God and the immediacy of the sort of, of the responsiveness and the relationship. Okay, Mishnah, Gemara. Seder Taniyot Eilomer Bravia Rishonav Raminu Bravia Rishonav Shniyal Lishal Shlishit Litanot. You know, only if, it, if the first and the second um, uh, dates that are passed when it should have rained, um, you're still just praying. You only begin fasting when it passes the third date. You know, the whole question earlier: When does it? At what stage do you start fasting? So Amar Ravi Huda Hachikama. So here's what it means when the Mishnah says the first Bravia Rishonav you're fasting. The normal order of the three, three, and seven, when is that? It means not when the first date has been passed. It means when the first rain has been delayed, delayed beyond the first date and the second date and the third date. Now that that first rain has been delayed until the third date and still hasn't rained, now we're going to fast. But if the, the rain came on the first date when it should have come, the zaru and they planted below samchu and the things did not sprout. Or they sprouted, but then they 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 changed in some type of a form. There was some type of a disease in them. Then Then you do it immediately, even if it's before that date of the third date that had passed. Amar of Nachman, Dafka Nishtanu, only if they have actually gone undergone some type of a change. Avo Yavshu, lo, dried out, not. Now, not what is a little unclear. There's two readings of this. One reading is, if they dried out, you don't have to fast, because that'll recover by itself. The other answer is, um, the other explanation is, don't bother do, doing the tefillot, the tefillot aren't going to help. If they're already dried, it's done with. But Tosos prefers the second read, the first read, which is if they're dried, it's not so bad. They could recover. 
it says Pshita, obviously Nishtanu Tanan. It says if they changed, no, Lotricha de Akun. So well, the case is, is that not only have they dried, but now they've a little bit like uh, um, fixed, or it's a little question what that means, but they're a little bit recovered. Maudetem Akanta Miltehi. Now maybe this fact that they're a little recovered, they've dried and they've recovered, but they haven't. Again, the way Tosos means that they haven't fully progressed. So maybe that really shows that they're like stuck in this mode. You know, like that they're that they, that they, so so now maybe actually. Actually, um, uh, they need the tefillot because now they're, they're starting to recover. If you don't get the tefillot, then it won't finish, and it'll be it'll go, it'll go to waste. Kamash Milan, not that way. Okay, so dried out again. It's a little hard to read it either way. The other way to read it, maybe which is easier, is that if it's dried out, you don't bother praying because it's not going to do any good. And then the havamina makes more sense. No, maybe if it actually seems to start to recover a little bit, we should pray for it. It will do some good. And the answer is no. That's not really significant. And if it really did dry out then forget about it they're wasted anyway okay there's a 40 day gap between rains my makas bitsoret what's this makas bitsoret so amarav yehuda amarav right which is in those things that you're matriin alehem yad right so it says rav yehuda amarav a type of a type of a uh, you know plague or some type of a thing um, that uh, that is going to lead to insufficient grain. So whatever it is, now again, presumably it's rain-related, but some type of a thing that's going to lead to insufficient rain. Amrav Nachman, Nahara Anahara Bitsorsa. If you can travel by river to get grain from another locale, from like a neighboring village, then it's only considered Bitsorit. It's not yet fully at the full stage of tragedy. Medinta Amedinta, if you have to go from one country to another country to get rain, to get grain, kafna. That's a real famine. The kafna is the Aramaic of the word ra'av. Ayhi ra'av ba'aretz, right? When Avram goes down to Mitzrayim, the Aramaic is kafna, not betzorta. So there you have to travel to another country. That's already the state of ra'av, of kafna. Let's say a sa'ah of grain costs a seller, which is very expensive. Okay? But nevertheless, even if it's expensive, if there's a lot of grain to be had in the market, so then bitsorta, that's a bitsorta. So it's a high inflation, so it's very expensive, but it's very available. So that's only the bitsorta, which is not the full degree of, 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 of severity. Our ba'av, if you can get four sa'ah for a seller, it's cheap. But, but it's, you can't find it anywhere, sure. If you can find it, it's cheap, but nobody has it. Everybody is out of it. So in that case, Kafna, that case, it's, it's much worse. It's not about the price, it's about the availability. Again, uh, if somebody, uh, maybe David, who's I see you're leaving, could explain to us, but I don't understand how you could have something that's a rare commodity that everybody needs that remains cheap. Okay, but that's what he's saying. If somehow the prices haven't adjusted yet, and technically it's cheap, but nobody is selling it, then it's considered a rob. All of this is true if money is cheap. What means money is cheap? But anyway, people, have, you know, money is available, and the fruits are, and, and the food is expensive. And then we could say, you know, it could be expensive, but if it's if it's if it's if it's ava- if it's available, it's still not considered to be a raab. About um, uh, that people Ireland have money. Had, yeah. Ireland had plenty of food sure. in the 1840s. What? Ireland had plenty of food in the 1840s. They had plenty of food? And a million people starved to death. Why? It was all exported. Oh. Okay. Aval, Maus Biyoker. Wait a minute. Well, right. Presumably, it means inflation. Aval, Maus Biyoker, if it's very rare to have money, Uperis Bizol, and the fruit is cheap, so Matrina Lamiyad. 
then you blow then you then you immediately begin the severe fast. So the, everything is selling for a dollar, but nobody has any money, right? Nobody even has a dollar. People, you know, people have a few pennies. So even though it's so cheap, it's only a dollar. But what really is is that the, not that the prices of the grain have gone up. The prices of the grain might still be low, but nobody, but, but nobody has any money. In that case, that's, that's terrible. Now, I remember, where you get four salt, four salt, it was dirt cheap. But there was a great prevalence of people that were, that were like, Nisichik um, Fan means people that were bloated because of famine, right? That happens during famine. Why? Nisichik Fan, it's variant, variant means lace isar because nobody could even put their, put, you know, had a penny to spend. Now, I do not exp- understand, and somebody can explain to me, what difference does it make if the reason the stuff is not available is because it's very expensive, or the reason it's not available is because technically the price might be cheap, but nobody has, but, but, but nobody has any money. Like, what difference does it make? Yeah, I, I'm not getting something here. I got the first point, that it's not about the price, it's about the availability, yeah. that that makes a huge difference. But I don't exactly get, get the one here where, where a, a high price is not so bad. But a low price that nobody has any money, that's worse. Like, I'm not exactly getting it. All right. Yodu itzmachim avalol ilan. Try to get a little bit further. Bishleim litzmachim avalol ilan. Mishkarach le'i So it's good for the crops and not the tree if it comes down pleasantly and not strongly. It's good for the trees and not the crops if it's strong, but it's not like pleasant rain. And good for the trees and the, and the crops, but not for the wells. You have some that's sort of pleasant, that's, you know, some that's strong. A lot doesn't come. It doesn't fill up the wells. But we have a bright that has a fourth category. It's good. For, it fills up the wells of a little but not for the trees or the crops. How did that happen? Because it comes in, tor- in torrents. So a, a little hard is good for the rains, but torrents, it'll fill up the, be- the wells, but it's not good for anything. You make the fasts for the trees in half, half of Pesach, meaning half, wait, half a month before Pesach, on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, is when you start worrying about the trees if it's not raining, which is interesting, right? Because, right, we are always been focusing on the crops and in Marcheshvan. Here, the trees, although Tubishrat came earlier, but presumably the trees start needing water, you know, you know, by middle, but, you know, towards the springtime, so by Nisan, if it hasn't rained, right, again, maybe two months or whatever after Tubishvat, by Nisan, if it hasn't rained, you start, to, you start this for the trees. A new, a new, a new uh, uh, time on the calendar when to start worrying about rain. Now, the wells, even, uh, even Rosh Chodesh Tishrei, you have, you know, you needed to start raining to fill up the wells, which is funny. Was it the time yet of rain? Is it because people are expecting the Ole Regolim and they're going to need water in their wells? What is it about Rosh Chodesh Tishrei that already you were expecting enough rain, rain to fill up the wells? I really don't get all of this. And if for anybody, or all times, if you're running out of drinking water, not just that you don't have enough water to fill up the wells, you don't have drinking water, that you respond immediately. What does the miyad mean? Monday, Thursday, Monday, meaning what's the response? Now, presumably is what that means. It's not like a seven-day period that you respond, it's a three-day. 
It's an interesting their way of framing it. And again, as opposed to some of the other cases in the Mishnah, all of these would only be in their region, not in another region. So Askira and Asra, which was, uh, what do they think that is? Diphtheria. Diphtheria? I thought they said it was, cru- what is it, croup? What's that thing about the, uh, the bre- breathing and the, uh, what's that thing that gets into the throat? Right, isn't it? The throat is constricted. Right, isn't that croup? Crop? Croup? Anybody know about this? No? Sally? I don't know. Okay, anyway, it was something that was a terrible, um, a terribly, uh, you know, uh, painful d- uh, disease and caused death and got in, was sort of invaded through the throat. So for this, uh, for this Oscarab, Bismanchi from Mita, if it led to death, Matrina Laha, then you have this response. Uh, if it did not lead to, de- lead to death so again one wonders if people understood whether it was contagible or not um, but it's also interesting that if it's just people are getting sick even a contagible disease it need, it's not maybe severe enough to have this type of a response and if it's govai which are a type of a uh, um, uh, what do you call it a, a locust then even a small amount because if you, you don't just have one locust if you're going to get a locust, it's going to, you're going to get a lot. Rabbi Shimon Lezer Omer, Afal HaChagav, which is another type of, uh, you know, not grasshopper, those sound innocent, but whatever it is, another type of a locust. Tanovana, we'll just do one more. Matrina Lilano, Pesharshne Shavua, you pray for the trees if there's a, you know, if, if there's a problem with the rain, on all, on all the other years of the Shemitah cycle, but not on Shemitah itself. Because on Shemitah, you know, people uh, aren't, aren't, you know, aren't harvesting the stuff. Of course, Dafi can make the opposite argument. On Shemitah is when you need there to be fruit on the trees. But for the whales, obviously, even on Shemitah. Even for the trees, because yeah, what, what are the poor going to eat from? They need there to be crops in the ground. That's part of the whole idea of Shemitah. So, of course, you need the terrain on Shemitah, so that there should be fruit on the trees. One wonders what the Tanakhama was thinking. Maybe because he figured maybe everybody had stored up food for Shemitah. Even for the trees, period. Even on the trees, um, um, so and it's a little bit uh, where were we? it seems like the same thing except the question about the svichim svichim are also things that grow a little bit like randomly um, the, the way Rashi we did svichim are things like the trees not only fruit that grows from the trees but also like wild vegetation that grows without being planted so not just for the trees but even for other wild vegetation that will grow on shviit that the anim need there's a whole question about whether you're allowed to eat the svichim or not okay I think we will have to uh, we will have to end here we'll pick up a first tomorrow oh.